You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Well, today uh, we're going to get into our text here, which is Colossians 4. We're going to finish the letter today. But before we do, I haven't had a chance to actually preach since all this crazy stuff went down on October 7th, which incidentally is my birthday and so I was like, wow, what a day to, uh, I woke up thinking it was going to be a good day, only hearing all these things that's happened in Israel. I, I've been to Israel twice and, uh, there is nothing like being there. I know I, I didn't really have a heart for Israel. I just knew it was God's people and they're all throughout the Bible. And I was just like, okay, you know, what's the big deal with Israel? It's, you know, and when I went there, I, I felt a love for the place where Jesus walked. I mean, let's just make it that blatant Jesus walked on some steps in the temple that I got to walk on. I was on the sea of Galilee where he calmed the the storm. It's forever changed my life. I got to do it. My dad so graciously took me and my brother. And then a few years later, he took me and my brother and my wife. And, you know, when, when I hear about things in Israel going there, you, you can picture the places that are happening. I'm seeing the places that have being destroyed and, I know a lot of people that are closely connected with Israel and Caleb company is a ministry I'm connected with and pastor friends, Papa Don and Todd are dear friends of mine. And so I hear what's happening. You know, I'll tell you this. We, we have to get past what we see because in the world we live in, we try to make good guys and bad guys. Right. And it's, it's really about evil and light. It's a spiritual battle. And, and I don't have time to break this down because I want to get into our message, but I want you to know that if you chase this all the way back, you can go all the way back to Abraham when God said to Abraham, I want to make you a father of, every, of nations. And Abraham is all excited. Sarah laughed. And then all of a sudden, Sarah's like, hey, here's, my, here's this lady over here. Why don't you, you know, get, get with her? And, and Ishmael came about. It was never God's plan for Ishmael. It was always Isaac. And so you trace it back there. You see the lineage, the split, and you can see how... This generation, these legacy comes from one line and one another line. And, and, and here's the good news, because you could say, well, how could God, you know, cast out people like this? And God did something very miraculous through Jesus. He grafted the Gentiles in. So although he fell in love with Israel, let's make no mistake about it. You have to be ignorant of the Bible to not believe that. That's God's people. He chose Israel. But good news, all you Gentiles in this room. He's also opened up the door and said, you guys can all come in. And so I want you to know that what you're seeing here is the end times playing out. Now you can say, well, man, this is crazy. It's nuts. I, I've, I've blown away the kind of rhetoric I'm hearing from places in America where I'm seeing people like protest in support of Hamas. What good is that? Where is the good in that? It's just, it's complete brokenness. I said to the Lord, what are we seeing here? And he said, well, listen, I wrote about it in my Bible. He said, Romans 1, I want you to see this because maybe you're like me and you're just like wondering, how do we get here? We got crazy news coming out with all sorts of things, taking credible and liable sources like a terrorist as a place to gather their news from. Romans 1 says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Man, does that not speak for today? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. There are gossipers, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And then he says, after that, disobedient to their parents. Wow, that's quite a, quite a 
line there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know, listen to this, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. If that does not describe what's happening right now, I don't know what does. That's where we're at. Now, somebody said, well, you know, are we, are we in the end times? I'll say this, it's a cheesy, cheesy cliche, but we're closer to the end than we've ever been. That's all I can say. I mean, if Jesus doesn't know, how many know that we in this room can't figure it out? But I will say this, he's made mention of it. The end times are close. If we're not living in them, we sure are knocking, knocking, knocking on heaven's door. But Matthew 24, Jesus says this. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, church of Spring Hill, that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet near. For nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, I've never had birth pains. I've seen them 10 times. I know that they can go on for a long time. Then Paul echoes this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace. Listen to this. There's peace and security. How many times have we seen that recently over the last few years? There's peace in the Middle East. The Abraham Accords. Things are happening. There's peace and security. Then suddenly destruction will come upon them. What? As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, say awake, and be somber. So here's what I want to tell you today. If I can give you two things to prepare your hearts, be aware and be at work. It's not time to check out, dig a hole, get a generator and hide. That is not what the kingdom of God does. And if that is where you feel you have partnered with fear, because if anything, we should be excited. Because as much as we see all this desolation, we will see the greatest move of God that has ever come on this earth. I believe that. And I was thinking about it today because I've been listening and, and learning. And, and I've just been thinking about what that day will be like when Jesus comes back. We still have time. Turn to somebody. We still have time. Lord, we thank you right now for your your peace, your word. Thank you that your word written centuries ago is still speaking to us right now in 2023. Lord, we thank you that in Psalms 122, it says, pray for the peace of Israel. So today we declare peace over that state. We declare right now that every person that has been taken from their home will be returned in Jesus' name. Unharmed. I'm declaring it right now. Lord, we're asking right now that you will continue to mess with these terrorists where they have dreams of a man in white, where they lay down bombs and they, they walk away from their, from, their, from their cars and things and say, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like something is telling me to go a different way. We thank you, Lord, that the leader of Hamas, his own son, gave his life to Jesus. Lord, we thank you that if you can do that, you can do something tremendous in this day and hour. And we declare from Spring Hill, Tennessee, that we are not done. We're not checked out. We are awake. We are prayerful and we are expected in Jesus name. Would you shout amen? Amen. amen. All right. Well, that's just part one of the message here today. 
today. If you have your Bibles, go to Colossians 4. We're going to finish our series in the letter of Colossians from Paul, who's writing from a prison in Rome to the region of Colossae. And over the last few weeks, we've been breaking down four weeks, four chapters. Now, I want to remind you, this is a letter. So really, this was written and meant to be read in a continuous thought. But because of time, we break it down four different ways. And a couple weeks ago, I got the privilege of breaking open chapter one. And I said to you that there's three or four different themes throughout the letter. Number one is it's personal. It's personal. A personal beginning to a letter. Like we write a letter to someone you're going to talk about. Hey, I'm doing good. It's good to hear from you. And I talk to you about it's time to grow up. Say it's time to grow up. And Paul says, listen, we, we don't get mixed up in all this weird theology. Because then chapter two, Naisha brought that. I don't know if you remember that. She tore it up. Naisha brought the doctrinal part of the letter, which means it's already done. Say it's already done. It's already done. Isn't that good to know that, Pastor Raphael? Isn't it, Mia, good to know it's already done? You don't have to add things to it. Asceticism. You don't have to put your hand to the sky for 50 years. And, and, and you don't have to add things, legalism and religious, all these things. God says, I've already did it. The gospel doesn't need your help. He saved you. Now, you partner that with the next part of the letter, which is the practical. Pastor Josh brought this last week. And he said, get to work. Say, get to work. And it is an opportunity now. It's already been done, but guess what? We get to partner with our work. And what a joy it is when we know our why. Remember he said, what's your why? Whatever your why is, it'll drive you. If your why is what you do for a living, you'll love every day you go to work. And for many people in this room, you have to discover your why. And today, the last part of this letter, it's relational. Colossians 4, if you could stand to your feet, we're going to read this today as we do each week. We honor the word by standing today. Colossians 4 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a, a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of God on account for which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, say outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tithicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onimus, on Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are only the men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, the one who you, the one who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laosia and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my change. Grace be with you. You can have a seat. Today, the title of my message and the theme of what I'm going to extrapolate from the text today is your relationships matter. Your relationships matter. It's interesting trying to break apart this part of the letter. This is the kind of the ending of the letter. And, and I'm like, Lord, what, what are you saying? What is Paul saying here? And the more and more I got into it, the more I realized there's a lot of depth here. How, how many of you growing up I know growing up in school, we all have our little areas, groups of people. We call them cliques back in the day. You know, how many of you were part of different cliques? But how many of you could say, I I know for me, like I I was a part of a lot of different things. I I didn't realize that that was the gifting of pastoring all my life, that I would have to be all things to all men. But growing up, I was able to kind of flow in all the groups, you know? But I want to see by a show of hands, how many of you in this room were a jock, you know, a person in sports? There you go. Oh, wow. Only a few. Okay. How many were the cool kids? Raise your hand if you were a cool kid. All right, you got to do it. Put your hand up and pat like my dad again. Oh, my, my daughter. Okay, is that true? Is she cool? No. Okay, your friends say they're not. Oh, wow. Okay, all right. You better talk to your friends. How many were musicians in school? Band, come on now. Come on. All right now. All right. How many were the nerds? Be honest. Be honest. Because nerds, you probably have a really good job and all the cool kids work for you, right? Come on now, the nerds. How many were cheerleaders? Any cheerleaders in the room? Okay. How many were on safety patrol? Raise your hand if you were a safety patrol. Dan, were you on safety patrol? How many a crossing guard? Any crossing guards? Nobody. This room is full of people that don't care. Anyway, okay. Well, <laughs> Paul is essentially giving shout outs at the end of the letter to 10 people by name that he mentions that have made an impact on his life. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because 10 people making an impact on Paul's life. This is Paul who's made an impact on our lives. The majority of the New Testament written by Paul and Paul is giving a shout out for eternity. These people are written in the word. Can you imagine being that? Onimaeus, like Tithicus, like thank you for having hard names by the way. But anyway, these people, they're in the Bible because they made an impact. I want you to know this. Genesis 2.18, it's the beginning of the Bible. It says this, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And we need to realize that it's not God's plan for you to be alone. And we are seeing an onslaught of depression, anxiety, and I can trace it back now. Granted, that's always been here, but I saw it percolate and germinate and grow in 2020. When we were said, everybody go to your home six feet away. Don't talk to people. Don't look at people. Don't touch people. And what we unleashed in this nation and across the globe was loneliness, depression, and suicide. Now, how many people would say you're an introvert? Raise your hand. That's hard. I've actually, this is, this is quite a dichotomy. I'm an introvert. I got to raise my hand. Now, raise your, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Somebody next to them. I want you to look them in the eye and say, we need you. We need you. Don't check out. Studies have shown, listen to this, studies have shown that there's now a growing group of introverts than there are extroverts. How many extroverts in this room? 
Yeah, keep. Oh, well, this is this is that's because it's this church. Look at you. Look at your pastor. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know. Anyway, the point of it all is we need each other. In fact, Yale Yale did a scientific study. Out of 194 heart attack patients, these are 194 people that had a heart attack. Those that had emotional support were three times more likely to be alive in six months after their heart attack. That's how important people are in your relationships. You remember COVID? How when people got, okay, I know. Somebody had a flashback. I don't want to remember it. When, when, when COVID hit, the medical group said, okay, bring them in and put them in a room, isolate. And I've watched people, people that I know that died in the hospital and they never had anyone next to their bed. There was a man in our region that was really sick with COVID on his deathbed. And I don't know how it happened, but the family finally convinced the doctors. They said, look, we want his wife to get in there. She wants to be with him. And she said, well, look, she's not going to be able to leave. That's okay. I'll be with him, whatever it is. Do you know that when she got in there, that partnered with prayer, this man recovered and got fully well. And I believe, I believe it's not just because his wife was in the room, but because he had hope. You're not supposed to be alone. And Paul knew this. Can you imagine being Paul's friend? And just think about this for a moment. I mean, Paul, we all love Paul, but Paul was a, he was a rough dude. Let's just, re let's remember that, okay? His old nature kept creeping in, you know? Not only that, but just think, everywhere Paul went, people were getting killed, imprisoned. So when he talks about Tithicus, and Tithicus was, was following him, Tithicus saw all of this firsthand. That's why he calls him a faithful brother. This guy went with me into towns knowing that we may not leave. These are friends. These are people we're called to build with. And I want to read Colossians 4. This is kind of where we're going to dissect this a little bit. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That means that we should be praying all the time, thanking the Lord, not complaining. So even though the world looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, we can thank the Lord that God is still moving. Do you know I have brothers that know people in the Gaza Strip and Israel, and they said to me yesterday, I was around some of my friends, actually a man from, I don't know if you know this, but there are people from Israel, Jews that are coming over and they're settling in Nashville. That's God's favor. I'm going to tell you right now, if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. And so even though they may not know Jesus yet, God is bringing them here because he desires that they would know him. So what they're saying is, is that there is evangelism going on in the Gaza Strip right now. People are coming to know Jesus. You don't hear that on CNN, Fox News, but I'm telling you firsthand, it's happening. So we, we're thankful, we're watchful. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account which I am in prison. Do you know that when you declare the word of God, you unlock the mysteries of God to the world? I just let it simmer for a little. Somebody gets an amen there. I don't know. I just think like we're unlocking mysteries of God. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to walk. Now, Paul says this. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Say outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how ought to answer each person. How we treat people matters in the kingdom. We can't check out. 
And I wanna talk to you about two groups of people Paul mentions in this last part of his letter, the outsiders and those inside. And I wanna talk to you not only about the outsiders, but I wanna talk to you about this. I don't know if you know what this is. Anybody know what this is? Anybody know what this is? This is shaking like a salt shaker. Anyway, this is salt. And salt is sodium chloride. It's the only salt, it's the only rock that we eat. Did you know that? I'm gonna teach you a little about salt, is that okay? You didn't know you were coming to learn about table salt. What kind of church are we in? The human body requires a small amount of sodium to conduct nerve impulses, contract and relax muscles, and maintain the proper balance of water and minerals. Salt is so important that it's classified under the one of the five basic tastes. To put it simply, salt makes food taste more like itself. And it serves to enhance certain flavors by suppressing bitterness. Now, some of you are understanding where I'm going. Some of you are still thinking about lunch. What's more, humans need salt to regulate fluid balance and nerves and muscle function. Salt also preserves food. Before refrigeration, they would use salt on meat so that it wouldn't spoil. But really what they were doing was they knew that with salt, bacteria can't grow. Keep going with me here. There aren't many foods out there that can't be improved with salt. In fact, you can take salt and add it to non-savory foods like, for example, ice cream or caramel. Have you ever had salted caramel? Yeah. Now, in Jesus' name. In Rome, listen to this, Romans... Their warriors would sometimes be paid in salt. That's why we get the word salary, salt. In fact, it was used as a currency, and that's where you get the term, he's worth his salt. Look at me. Yeah, look at me. I'm talking about salt. Look at me. Come on now. Paul says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. Paul says, your speech should enhance them, outsiders. It should be free of bitterness. Come on now. It should preserve and improve those that hear it. It should be worth something. And bacteria can't flourish in it, which means your speech should be full of life. Your speech should be, and these are for people far from the kingdom because this sounds like something that's not happening in the church today because we think if you don't know Jesus, I can say whatever I want to you. And I'm telling you, Paul's saying, let your words be seasoned with salt. And when we deliver a clear message of hope, seasoned with salt, we unlock the mysteries of Christ. But if we don't, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, if I speak, what does it say here? If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Turn the overheads on, please, real quick. I want you to hear what's going to happen. If I don't have love, I sound like this to the people in the world. Pastor Mark, that's extreme. That's how we sound. That's what it says, a loud clashing cymbal or gong. So who are you? Are you this? Are you that? Now, let me say this, 2023, it's not just what you say, but it's also what you write. 
Then, 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 he, then he talks about insiders. And again, he, he mentions 10 people. We mentioned them by name. 10 people that have impacted his life. So he said, pray for me, Paul, as I'm in prison, pray that my words would be seasoned with salt, that I can speak the truth and I could speak it with love. But then he says, by the way, I also want to give a shout out to these people, men and women, that have played a part in my life that kept me going when I wanted to give up. Because how many know when you're in chains in house arrest, you probably want to give up. You probably want to go, God, I think I did enough. How do you write a letter of encouragement to people you've never met, Colossae? How do you write a letter to them and give them encouragement when you yourself are strapped to imperial guard? Because he had people pouring into him. And I want to share some of the words he mentions. And I want to see, are, these are key components of people that will bless you. Number one, beloved brother, a faithful servant, an encourager, a comfort, always praying for you, a hard worker for you. Now, I want you to look at them for a second. And I want you to see, would that be said about you? How many could you check off that list? How many people would say that about you? That's a faithful brother. That's a faithful sister. How many of you are encouragers to people? Random encouragement. Not encouragement after somebody gives you something or you want something from them. Hey, you look great. <laughs> I love you, sweetie. Yeah, you know. No, no, no. I'm talking about encouraging people no matter what God says. Do you know that God, listen to me, he does this all the time to me. He'll put something random on my heart, somebody I haven't talked to, somebody I wasn't even thinking about. And I know right now, I've had enough encounters with the Lord to know he wants me to pray for them and encourage them. And I do not miss a moment because if that moment, I don't know what's happening with them, but God put them on my heart and I'm to stand in the gap. I want to be a beloved brother, a faithful servant, an encourager, a comfort, somebody that's always praying for people and a hard worker. How many of those things would be said about you and me? Onesimus, this crazy guy's name in the middle of this letter, at the end of the letter, Onesimus. What does it mean? Now, Onesimus is sneaky because he kind of gives a shout out to him. But if we don't know the context of the word of God, we won't know the power of his name being mentioned in this letter. Onesimus was a slave. Onesimus ran away from his master. Many theologians believe not only ran away, but stole from him. And his master's name was Philemon. Anybody know Philemon? Not personally, but maybe read a letter to him. Philemon. Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, specifically about Onesimus. And I want to read you part of the, a letter from Philemon. He says this, accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Paul's saying, look, you know who I am. I'm the apostle. I can tell you what to do. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son, for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have now become in my imprisonment. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond slave, bond servant, but more than a bond servant, a beloved brother, especially to me. By how much more to you, both you, would receive me 
So in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own me. Uh, look at this. I love this. He puts this at the end. He goes, saying nothing of your owing me, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Let me unpack that for a moment. Paul's saying, listen, I did a lot for you. Now I'm asking you to receive Onesimus, not back as a slave, but as a brother. Now, that doesn't, it sounds like, a okay, that's great, right? You came to know Jesus, now they're brothers. But I want to put it in context because in Rome, someone like Onesimus running away, he would be stamped, branded with an F on his forehead for fugitive and sent back to where he came to be executed. Paul is saying, because this man has repented. Now, Onesimus is running away from Philemon. He comes and counters this man in Rome named Paul. He gives his life over to Jesus, gets radically transformed, becomes one of Paul's so-called sons in the faith. And now he sends him back and he says, I want you to receive him and don't charge him anything. Don't punish him. Receive him as your brother. That's what the gospel does. It transforms relationships. The people that hurt you now become your best friends. Oh man, I've had that. How many people have ever seen that happen in the church? Where the people that hurt you, the loved ones that hurt you, your parents, they give their lives to Jesus. All of a sudden, there is a new relationship. Something transforms. See, it's a big deal. The gospel changes relationships. Many of you would never even know each other if it wasn't for the church like Southview. Think about this for a moment. Just look around for a minute. Some of you would never encountered each other. Some of you would never have gotten along if it wasn't for the church. Let's be honest, okay? Because some of you are tough to live with. Anyway, the point of it is, is like some of you looking around, you're going, I don't think I've ever would have hang out with them. Why? Because most of us gravitate towards what's comfortable. I remember like some of you guys coming here and thinking like you have become brothers and sisters. I think about the Owens family. Be careful. I know he's a cop. I'll be careful. But this is the point. My parents were looking at a house, my in-laws, and we went to show up and these people were walking through it. I don't know how they even got in there. I guess that's what cops do. They just do things or whatever. Anyway, the point of it all is we met them. I remember the day we met them in that house. And from that point on, they've become dear brothers and sisters. I love their daughters. Like they're my daughters. Lily's in our house all the time. I mean, they, they have become family. I never would have known them. Our lives would have been intersected. They're from different parts of the country. But thank God for the church that brings us together and we champion one another. And I celebrate the prophetic gift on this family. I'm thankful for what's happening. These two girls and they're growing in their faith. I'm telling you, this is what God does. Look at the Christies. I, I met them at a party and I with friends that we're, we don't even all hang out with anymore. But I remember just meeting them and, and we connected with them. And they quickly got involved, serving in every way. Now she's got her third baby. This is a, a family that said, <laughs> quiet, the baby. Yeah, don't wake the baby, guys. Not like my loud voice hasn't done that already. Abby and Dan, the transformation in their life, the leading of the young adult ministry in this church, the constant love and support for people. Dan protecting this place all the time. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, there's Macy right in front of, with, with a, her own little baby and Canaan. And how, I mean, listen, they met in youth group and they fell in love and they have baby. I mean, this is, ba I was going to say babies, but she's like, I have one. That's good enough. The point of it is, 
God brings people together. Your relationships are kingdom demonstrations for the world to see. And we have to start looking at them differently. Can't look at them as something you could just come and go. But that we invest in them. Now, now I brought salt here, but of course, many of you are like, well, where's salt and pepper? Oh, it's pepper right here. Okay. Let's talk about salt and pepper. Some of you know what I was going to say. You got to be, you got to be quick. You got to be quick and unsaved apparently. But point of it is, <laughs> pepper. Most tables have a salt and pepper shaker. Pepper is used for spice. Originally, pepper would be used to mask the flavor of meat that was past its prime. Keep in mind that unlike pepper or unlike salt, pepper cannot be sprinkled on everything. Only use pepper on foods that stand up to its powerful flavor. Pepper does not bring out the natural flavor of food. Pepper doesn't preserve food. And pepper isn't essential to life. And I want you to know this today, that the church today has become pepper to the world. We've allowed ourselves to just say whatever we want, thinking God will cover it. And I want to say this to you today. Stop blaming people for the problems that your mouth created. Because the reality is, is so many of us in this room, we've had pepper moments. I had a woman in our early, our first service here came up to me and, and, and I loved it. I actually loved it. She came up to me. She goes, I don't know if I should hug you or kill you. I, your message today. Because, she, and here's the reason, because she said, I've encountered that with the church so much so that it's repulsed me from the church. And I said, you're right. We've done a poor job. I'm going to show you two pictures of people in, the, in, in Hollywood and music. That's Kanye West and Kat Von D. Many of you may not know who they are, but Kanye West is a rapper, producer, writer, songwriter, maker of great sneakers, um, things like that. And Kat Von D is a tattoo artist. I followed her years ago. And both of them were very far from the Lord. I mean, it was very evident their life had no fruit. And God encountered them. And I remember a couple years ago, I used to, couldn't wait to go home to get on YouTube to find out where Kanye West was because he would show up in a place like Chicago, on the street of Chicago in a back alley. He'd bring this amazing choir and band and they just worshiped the Lord. Did it in places like Detroit, New York. And I, I'm telling you, I know the presence of God. I felt the presence of God on that. But it's funny because, you know, he came out with a Christian album and this is one of his lyrics he said. He said, what have you been hearing from the Christians They'll be the first ones to judge me, make it feel like nobody loves me. Kat Von D, just recently, in front of all of her fans, many unsaved, many atheists, many very angry with the church, showed a video of her getting baptized. She said, I go to a church that is pretty small. In fact, any, on a good Sunday, we'd have 20 people. On a regular Sunday, it'd be somewhere around 10. She said, but I love it because they've shared me, showed me Jesus. And when she put out that video, this is what people said about it. They said she's faking it. These are, let me, by the way, let me say this. Let me pause for a moment because she was ready for the retaliation from her unsaved friends. She knew that people would say, you're a fool, you're an idiot. But she wasn't ready for all the Christians that got online. And they said, you're faking it. This is a PR stunt. She's just looking for likes and follows. Look at the way she dresses. She said this. She says, I wasn't aware that there was a uniform in Christianity. Yeah. She said people started attacking her husband because her husband hasn't yet had an encounter with the Lord. This woman is so radically changed. I mean, she's tattooed everywhere, but now she's going and getting her whole all her tattoos blacked out. 
because she said they no longer are fitting to her point of life anymore. But my thing is, is like, why does the Christians, why do we have to walk around and throw pepper on everyone that gives their lives to Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but let me share with you another person named Paul. When Paul gave his life to Christ, he didn't instantly become some great saint. In fact, in Acts 9, verse 26, it says, when he had came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Can you imagine Paul rolls up into a prayer meeting and they're going, oh man, oh, where's the security at? This guy, he couldn't even get them to love him, rally around him. It took other apostles stepping up and saying, I vouch for him. I've seen it. He's truly converted. Let me say this to you. This is a prophetic statement, and, and, but I believe it's the Lord's will that we are going to see more and more people like that come to know Jesus in this day and age. And I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to hear me. We must not be a church that judges their transformation. Because for some of you, you were raised in a home that loved Jesus. So it's easy for you not to curse. It's easy for you not to do the things. But when you're living in a world where that is celebrated, I looked at Kanye West and I thought, this guy had everything he wanted given to him. He was married to the most famous woman of all the earth. He was doing anything he could, had the most wealth, and all of a sudden, God opens his eyes to see the curtain pulled back and to see the evil that was behind him. And he was having to reconcile that in real time. So what does Hollywood do? He's insane. He's mentally disturbed. No, what he was doing was revealing what God had showed him in the supernatural. And I'm telling you, I'm ready for the harvest. I'm ready for the dirty people coming in. We have to extend grace. We have to be seasoned with salt. We have to realize that the reason why we do these things, listen to me, I'm gonna land this plane real quick because I got five minutes and I got about 10 minutes worth of information. So here's the deal. Offended people are the ones that drip pepper on everything. And I want you to see this. Offended people will build with people to prove their point. Offended people will find other offended people and gravitate towards them. They will speak only to preserve their position. And justification will be the power behind their purpose. I'm telling you right now, if I allowed offended people to motivate me to build a church, I would do everything to try to prove people wrong instead of trying to create a place where God's presence can inhabit. Every day, every day. Listen, PJ, you know this. PR, you know this. Anyone that's in ministry knows every week we are faced with an opportunity to grab a hold of offense. People leave the church, don't say goodbye. People leave the church, who knows why? Oh, that rhymed. People do it. And I give my heart to them. But you know what? I said, I refuse to let offense stop me. Because I know an offended heart, listen to me, an offended heart breeds offense, obviously, unforgiveness and bitterness. And I want you to know that those things are like pepper spray. But here's the interesting thing about it. It's not the pepper spray you're spraying on other people. It's spraying on your own face. Why? Because bitterness, unforgiveness will hold you back. It will hold you back. So quickly, we're kind of landing here. How to upgrade your relationships. I want to put that up there. You can take a picture. I'm going to try to break it down for a little bit, but I want you to meditate on this. Number one, you got to get over your offense. Pastor Mark, you don't understand what I've been through. Well, here's the deal. That's why God placed you in a church here like this. Get around people that can help you walk through it. If you can't do it alone, that's okay. 
We got a freedom center here. We have places, people that can walk with you. But you cannot marinate in your offense. You will not taste better by marinating an offense. Let me say that to you. Number two, get out of your feelings. Oh, man. I think it was Drake. I don't know who said it. He wrote a song about being in your feelings. I don't know. Was it Drake? Yeah, the reality is, is get out of them. Don't be in your feelings. Because guess what? Your feelings will mislead you. How many people ever woke up on a Tuesday and just didn't feel good? What? I don't feel like going to work. So what do you do? You don't go to work? No, you go to work. Why? Because your feelings will change. But you know what won't change? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is what we taste of. Not our feelings. Bitterness, anger, resentment. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm happy. Some of you are like a roller coaster because you're in your feelings. But guess what? Number three, get into your relationships. I'm telling you right now, there are people in this room that God has placed in your life and you may not be naturally drawn to them. They may not be your age. They may not have your background. But guess what? God placed them there to refine you and to heal you and to help you and encourage you. Number four, get more salt in your mouth. I hope Southview's known as a place that's salty. Not in a bad word, because I know you're like, he's salty. No, I'm talking about preserving. I'm talking about making things taste better. I'm talking about when you type in, you know, when you're putting stuff online, when you're posting, people go, man, I come here for encouragement. How many people in this church are known as encouragers? I hope everyone. Number five, get to encouraging. Those that refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed? Paul had every reason to be spicy. He had every reason. He was in jail. He was in prison. He faced death everywhere he went. He could have told God, I'm checked out. I did enough. I wrote enough letters. Can I go home? No, he was happy. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will declare the goodness of God. I'm going to encourage the people of Colossae. I'm going to encourage. Listen, he was encouraging people while he's chained to a Roman guard. How many of our letters would be a little different? Send help. Send a file, a pick, something I can get out of this. Philemon had every right to be upset with Onesimus. He had every right to say, you're not going to be my brother. You betrayed me. I have every right to have you executed. But when he got a hold of Jesus, see, Onesimus got a hold of Jesus. And when Jesus comes in, everything changes. The gospel changes. It transforms you. You can't go back. For some of you in this room, you're a Philemon, and there's an Onesimus in your life that God wants you to say, I forgive you. I restore my relationship with you. Let's go back to Israel. It's full circle here. Paul says in the ending of this letter, he says, make the best use of your time. Don't hunker down. Don't hide away. Don't buy 50 packs of ramen noodles. You know, listen, seriously, be awake and be at work. Scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken and begging for bread. Scripture also says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. So I will be taken care of while I'm on this earth. And when it's time for me to go, I'm going to be in glory. So either way, all I do is win, win, win. So if you are here with fear today, I'm going to break this. If you have fear today, I don't need you to stand. God knows you're fearful. I break the spirit of fear off of you right now. Some of you need to realize you can watch the news and not be fearful. Or you could turn the news off and stop being fearful. However it works, fear is not your future. Fear is not what God, it's not a fruit of the Spirit, last time I checked. So I break the spirit of fear off of you right now. Some of you, you're so worried about another virus, and God says, listen, I have taken care of you. 
You will live and not die. I don't fear what man can bring. I don't fear what the world can bring. I don't fear what's happening. I'm praying and believing that we will see the greatest days of our lives, that the church will excel. It will grow. It will flourish. Do you know that the fastest, most successful church right now is in Iran? Did you know that? Iran is experiencing revival. And all we hear about is Iran, terrorists, terrorists, it's coming. But do you know that as it's all brewing, as all the leaders and principalities, God's moving underground and people are giving their lives to Jesus. Come on now. You need to know that if he could do it in Iran, he could do it in Spring Hill. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.